Hey there, sports fan. Welcome to the Draft Site Podcast, your home for all professional sports drafts. Brought to you by DraftSite.com, the original full round mock draft site. Now let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome everybody to Draft Site's 45th podcast. This is the first one post Super Bowl. The NFL season has officially ended. And you know what that means, DJ? It's the start official start of the NFL draft season. How you feeling? Oh, I'm feeling wonderful. What are we at? 81 days, I believe. So, uh, yeah, we are, we are getting into it. And, uh, to think the combine is only uh, about two weeks away, a little over two weeks. Hmm. Nice. When it comes to the pro days, when's, uh, when's the first one that starts? Some of the smaller schools are going to start kind of immediately after the the combine in the late February, early March. By mi- by the middle of March, uh, I'd say around the 10th through the 25th, somewhere those two weeks right there. That tends to be the greatest amount of activity. Usually, you see a lot of the pro days end with about a month before the draft, and then it's going to be individual workouts. Uh, anyone who wants to hold another pro day or you know kind of improve upon something they had done. Sometimes you have some players that are injured. They, they kind of push it off a little bit later before the draft. But usually most of the major pro days have concluded with about one month before the draft. When that pro day schedule is released, everybody, we will have it on our site or we'll have it on the blog, draftside.wordpress.com. Uh, either way, you go to draftside.com and we'll have links and we'll get you ready for that. So, so, DJ, the season's officially over. Let's talk about last night because if we were, if anyone was listening last week, they would have heard the Nostradamus of us where I predicted Denver would win 21-18 on a performance that would be built around their defense. And, DJ, you said the exact same thing uh, with a performance built around defense, which wins championships, especially the last five years, and you predicted 26-20. And the official yep. score was 24-10. to 10. So I'd say we were pretty damn close. Yeah, and I, uh, I'd, I'd actually picked my MVP as C.J. Anderson before the game. I thought it would be defense, a collective effort, but I thought it would be a couple of rushing touchdowns by uh, Anderson. He did get in the end zone once, 82 yards and a touchdown, which – was about as good as anyone really did on offense. I feel he was probably about second or third in the voting, so I, I felt pretty good about that as well. I thought that they would have to uh, run at that Carolina defense, and you know, uh, really the, the the passing game was really predicated upon the four to seven yard pass plays for the Broncos. A lot of them were just like runs anyway. So it was an efficient game, and. Really, when you look at it, Carolina scored more yards. I think it was equal. Uh, I really think it just came down to a pair of turnovers with short fields, one resulting in a touchdown and one resulting in a, in a red zone drive, which led to another short touchdown. That, that, that was really the difference in the game. DJ, we talked last week about the player from this draft that would help the team the most in the Super Bowl, and we did that for, for both the Panthers and the Broncos, and I'm pretty sure we chose offensive linemen, or you chose offensive linemen. Do you think you chose correctly, or would you adjust? Well, I know I had, or, or I think so for Carolina, because I think Carolina would have benefited from more of a more pounding running attack. Uh, I think that it, it 
kind of got to the point where, you know, they were just kind of teeing off on Cam Newton, and I think just a little more of a consistent running game in the middle and giving uh, Carolina a big guard like Cody Whitehair out of uh, Kansas State. Ironically enough, I actually have in the latest mock, yes, four rounds are done, and the next uh, few rounds will be done by this evening. I actually have Cody Whitehair going to the Broncos with the last pick in the first round. In the wow, look round. at that. But I think he would have, he definitely would have helped Carolina. I'm trying to remember I, uh, who I had actually picked for Denver. I believe it would have been a, a tight end or someone in the passing game. It was a tight end. It was the tight end from from Ohio State, I believe, Nick Vanette, who, and yeah, you know, so much was made about Owen Daniels and the, and the great game that he had in uh, with two touchdowns in the playoffs. But really, he was kind of a non-factor in the regular season, and we know Peyton Manning kind of likes to have that security blanket, those tight ends. But really, Owen Daniels, I believe it was first, first play, 18-yard catch, and I think that was about it. And I think one of the prop bets that was going off was 21 yards for Owen Daniels. I don't know if he eclipsed that. I don't know if he got another catch after that opening, uh, that opening drive, but I know that was one of the more popular bets because a lot of people were thinking, wow, only 21 yards. I mean, this guy is, he's been with, with Manning before. He's, he's kind of that, that guy that he's going to look to in the, in the short passing game, maybe even get a, a, a red zone touchdown. Uh, but when actually you looked at the statistics in the regular season, Games in which were quarterbacked by Peyton Manning, uh, Owen Daniels averaged 11 yards. So it's not like he was not a huge contributor. It was just that big game that he had in the in the playoffs, and the fact that he's had success in past seasons. That I think that was um, one of the deciding factors there. But I also think that uh, yeah, they probably would have benefited from having a a little more of a presence at the tight end position. So feel pretty good about those picks. And unfortunately, neither one seemed to be an area that either team really capitalized on. Well, going back for one second, it really makes you say once again, who the hell is making these lines? They're amazing. Absolutely. I mean, it started, <laughs> if you saw the most controversial prop, that was probably the national anthem. <laughs> that is one that's been disputed. The over and under, there was actually a prop bet on the national anthem for two minutes and 20 seconds. Lady Gaga kind of repeated brave twice, kind of held on to the note, and the official timing was 2.21. And there were some people claiming because at the 2.09 mark she had said brave that it should end there, and there was controversy before the game even kicked off. So it's just amazing how passionate some of these people are in making these bets and the people that are actually laying the money down. It's amazing. Well, now we're on to next season. So we talked about some of the Denver – Denver needs. Um, Carolina, in order to get back there next season, what do they need to do in this 2016 draft? I think they have to shore up that offensive line. I think that was something that was proven last night. It was really saw as an Achilles heel heading into the season. I think you can go all the way back to when Jordan Gross kind of had his sudden retirement a few years back. There were many people who thought that Carolina did not accurately address that, weren't able to, um, they've kind of been dragging their feet. You know, Michael Ower was someone they brought in this year, and that was a much publicized move. I believe he had three penalties last night as well. So I think that getting someone along the offensive line and, and at the secondary position at cornerback, you know, there are, a lot of people would say, you know, they're, they're obviously strong there, but there's no guarantee that Josh Norman's going to be back. He's going to command a huge payday. Charles Tillman was a guy who even at his 
age of about 34, 35, uh, played some pretty good ball, but but was injured down the stretch. So I, I think depth is a definite concern there. But I think some people in the secondary, which is one of the reasons why I still think Shaq Thompson, who was a draft pick this past year of the Panthers, started as a safety and then moved up the linebacker, which was uh, botched by Phil Simms last night. Uh, if you were making a prop bet on the, the first error, egregious error by a broadcaster, that was it, saying that uh, he was playing safety in college, which he was not the last two years of Washington, hmm. uh, that maybe he gets converted, maybe he's someone he looks at at the secondary because he's one of those tweeners that can play comfortably at 220, 225 pounds. Great athlete. Uh, it was a guy who had four 100-yard career rushing games, uh, kind of like Miles Jack uh, at UCLA. They, they used him in the backfield as well. So he can really get it done. Maybe Carolina kind of tries to convert him, depending on what they're going to do at secondary, uh, uh, at the safety position in the secondary as well. Well, since we're speaking about last year's draft, who from last year's draft would you say would be the MVPs of this playoff season? Uh, for the entire playoff season, hmm, here's a good one. I would, well, first off, for the regular season, I would say they got it right with the defensive player of the year, Marcus Peters, and not only shown that in the regular season he was one of the, the top rookies, I think he was one of the, you can put him in the maybe the top five corners for the year um, at the position, just played wonderfully at the aforementioned Wash, uh, Washington, University of Washington where, where Shaq Thompson attended. They had uh, four players get picked in the, I believe it was the first 60 picks last year. Um, as far as uh, for playoff runs, for rookies, uh, trying to think off the – I mean, I would have to say just David Johnson, just because even though Arizona was, was unsuccessful, they did fall a game short of getting to the Super Bowl. You know, we saw what happened to Arizona last year when they were in shambles uh, on a third-string quarterback, were unable to get it going at the quarterback position. The same thing had kind of happened to them this year. They relied on Chris Johnson. They relied on Andre Ellington. Both of them went down to injury. They take a player like David Johnson from northern Iowa, a, a wide receiver who turned into a running back. And, you know, really he was their offensive catalyst. Uh, he was probably the best and most consistent player on the football field, and it it turned Arizona into a team that wasn't so one-dimensional. They had a a very good passing attack. We, we keep seeing Larry Fitzgerald turn back time. Uh, John Brown being a very good deep threat. Michael Floyd has had his moments, a very big and physical receiver. But again, you can't be a one-dimensional team. And I think David Johnson gave Arizona just enough to, you know, get them all the way to the championship game and still make them a force uh, to be reckoned with over the next few years, uh, depending on how long Carson Palmer is able to play the quarterback position and, and what they're going to do to replace him in the next few years because he's not getting any younger either. One rookie, I'd say, who made a bit of an impact in this game was Devin Funches. He was a rookie out of Michigan who actually played tight end in Michigan, although he played more like a wide receiver, and he made a huge catch for Carolina at one point. Uh, what do you think of Devin Funches and his future in Carolina? Can he be the number one guy there? I don't know if he's going to turn into a number one guy, but it turned out to be a very fortuitous pick in the second round. We still knew that, that Carolina needed some help at the wide receiver position. I don't think anyone was going to really know the full impact that Ted Ginn had and the fact that he turned into put up like number one like receiving numbers for Carolina. 
but obviously no one knew of, uh, of Kelvin Benjamin and the very effective rookie season he had that he would be lost to injury at the time of the draft. So it was a position of need, but maybe not the greatest need in the second round. So the fact that he was there, uh, he started very slowly, but he did come on. Um, he came on pretty well at the end of the year. I still think it's it's just more of the dynamics of the position, um, learning his routes and, and kind of doing some, some things like that. Even Corey Brown, you're talking about a couple of very good youngsters at the wide receiver position that are, that are really going to help the Panthers, but it became more and more apparent. It looked like more of a luxury pick at the time, but with Kelvin Benjamin going down, they needed as many targets as possible. And a lot of people don't think of Carolina as having that explosive offense, but again, they scored more points than anyone in the regular season. And the fact that a lot of their weapons are very young, I mean, Cam's not very old either, so... They've got a number of good weapons that are under the age of 30, and I think uh, Funches is a bright future. I don't really see him as a number one type at any time, but I think that the sky is the limit for this guy, and he's kind of only scratching the surface of his of his potential. I think he's a very, very good number two. You put with more of a slot receiver type or someone who's really, really dominant downfield, he's a guy that can really take a lot of coverages away, kind of – take some people, cut all the field, kind of playing like a tight end, even though you know he'll be at the wide receiver position and really kind of open things up for some other targets on that team for Carolina. Another rookie from that team who I thought played pretty well when he was given the opportunity was Daryl Williams, the tackle out of Oklahoma. I was a big fan of his size coming out of Oklahoma. I mean, he was huge, six foot six, three, three thirty, 3'30", um, and they, they got him in the fourth round. And he was able to uh, get some pretty good minutes this year. Can a guy like him, do you think he could be one of the foundation pieces, perhaps at maybe right tackle for Carolina? Absolutely. I think that he was a guy that at one point was, was seen as a, a possible late-round first-round pick, uh, first pick. I kind of saw him last year as a mid, mid-round two, early-round three type of guy. I uh, really think the athleticism and the footwork were, were something that was holding him back. Obviously, he had the size. He did have the athleticism. did seem to be a quick study. He was a guy that I think it didn't help that he got moved around a lot at Oklahoma, which in the past I think more people had seen that as a liability. But it's starting to I, – I, we've seen some, some instances recently where it's been seen more as a luxury. Cameron Irvin, uh, Irving coming to mind. Uh, in, in New England, a guy that, that played multiple positions and, and played them well mm-hmm. at the collegiate level. So even if a guy's not a starter, the fact that he can be a key backup at multiple positions and he can shift the line around and in the event of an injury or something happens, you're not just pigeonholed into this guy's a guard and this guy's a right tackle and this guy's a center, that you got that flexibility. I think Williams, poss- I mean, he, he's a little bit big, but he could even be a dominant guard, Uh in the long term. So I think the fact that he can play multiple positions, he's a guy that I just don't think is ever going to be a star, but he seems to be um, well-liked in the locker room. Coaches always say great things about him, and the fact that he plays multiple positions, he's a guy you're going to want on your team and I think is going to be a very, very valuable piece of this Carolina Carolina team, one of the more uh, valuable pieces that you know, people probably don't talk about. Well, as we said, the season's over, which means it's the official start of the NFL draft season. And with that in mind, DJ, I know uh, I started working on the 2016 NFL mock draft. I think it's version 
maybe 11. 11. Now we're, uh, you got through the first four rounds, uh, another three more to go, plus the undrafted page will update automatically. So the question is, tell us, who is the big surprise in this mock draft so far? I think it will be a big surprise to a lot of people, but not to me. If people have been listening to the show or reading the blog, they know that I've been saying pretty much all year that I, I really thought the best quarterback was not going to be from a 1A program. I probably sound like a broken record, but I wanted to make sure we drove that point home. Uh, Cameron Wentz, and I kept him down a little bit on, on the boards, even though I, I felt that he was the best quarterback. But the fact that he did miss seven games due to injury with uh, a broken wrist this year, did come back to the playoffs, did leave North Dakota State to their fifth fifth straight national title, which I probably the, the greatest dynasty at the NCAA level right now. A lot of good players coming from North Dakota State. Wow. And, uh, you know, he, he put on a clinic at the Senior Bowl. He was the most consistent quarterback. Um, the numbers didn't reflect it in the game, uh, 5 for 10, 60 yards, but three of his passes were dropped. Um, accuracy was there, great size. He's going to measure in at about six five and a half, two hundred thirty 230 to 235 pounds. Pretty good release. I mean, there's a, there's a few hiccups with the mechanics, but nothing major. Um, strong arm, very accurate. Just, just seems to have the total power. I've said I think the only guy who I think has better mechanics and if he puts everything together is Christian Hackenberg, even though his second and third seasons have been quite miserable. He had a very promising a freshman campaign at Penn State, but I think if he's a guy that, that goes to a place where he can learn a little bit and puts it all together, uh, he's a guy that's going to surprise a lot of people. And it's why that we currently in this in this draft have him going in the second round to the Houston Texans. We saw the fact that they were shut out in the playoffs, what quarterback play has done for them the last few years, but you got to remember, you know, he had over 3,000 yards as a rookie, was the, was the Big Ten freshman of the year. And, and who was the coach of Penn State at the time? It happened to be Bill O'Brien, who was the head coach mm-hmm. of Houston. They kind of reunited there, and I think some good things can happen. Maybe Houston can look elsewhere in round one, maybe get some um, pass-rushing help, um, maybe someone at linebacker, and kind of uh, a wait for Hackenberg in, in like round two or three where they can go after a Christian Hackenberg or Dak Prescott and when those guys are probably like the fifth or sixth quarterbacks probably to go off the board overall. But uh, I think Wentz, we have a number two overall to Cleveland, which hopefully for Carson Wentz does not mean he'll go there to die, as most quarterbacks do. But uh, there's a definite need there, and I think the battle right now will be between him and Goff, who I think the 49ers really want at number seven. And the question is, does someone make a an actual trade to Cleveland to because everyone knows they'll be looking quarterback. Tennessee's in a great position. There's a lot of needs there, but I don't think taking someone one overall is necessarily better than maybe slipping back four or five picks and commanding a king's ransom. So a team like Dallas, if they're serious enough, and the fact that their coaching staff was there uh, coaching at the Senior Bowl and got a firsthand look at Carson Wentz, and there was a lot of chatter that that was one of the reasons why the Cowboys were there. Um, I think a lot of people knew they'd be looking quarterback, but maybe not in the first round. So uh, we currently have him number two overall going to Cleveland. So that's probably the biggest surprise or biggest change at the top of the board. But again, I, I've, I've been very consistent and people can go back through the 
show archives or through the notes. The one thing that drives me absolutely insane is people, oh, this guy's from North Dakota State. He's come out of nowhere. And it's total malarkey. No. Uh, he's been there all year. These NFL teams have scouting departments that could be up on this. Uh, again, I, I've been doing it for a while, but I shouldn't be the only one on the Internet screaming that this guy's the best quarterback out there. There's plenty of people that should have known about this guy. And acting like he's a complete surprise is, is just complete nonsense. It's, it's time that we start giving these small school players a little, more, a little bit more respect. Absolutely. Uh, going back to your Christian Hackenberg, I think it's a very, very natural fit that uh, Bill O'Brien will take him in Houston, and I think all Houston fans kind of are kind of expecting that as well. Um, and I think it would be very tough if he actually makes it to 22, because keep in mind, you have the combine, you have the pro days, and that's where you know that's where the scouts will start drooling over him again. They'll say, you know what? Uh, he was the same guy. He had the same potential that we saw in high school that he still has now. The only thing is they might blame the coach for a few years or maybe some turmoil. Um, they'll say he had a great season with Bill O'Brien. So he could pop up again in the first round. And I think because of that, um, because his pro days tend to jump up the naturals like Christian Hackenberg, you know, if he's available at 22 – and Bill O'Brien does want to take him, he definitely could go there in the first round. So I definitely do think that's possible. It is a natural fit. I will say I've been burned far too many times by predicting that the college coach would pick his player in draft. And maybe it's Pete Carroll, but, I I mean, there's just so many instances where I thought for sure – uh, the coach would take a guy that he played with. I mean, I remember Pete Carroll back in the day, you know, we talked, um, well, I thought maybe he'd jump up and take Matt Barkley at one point. When Seattle took Earl Thomas, I thought for sure they were going to try to take Taylor Mays and jump up and take the USC safety. So that turned out to be a great pick, but it's just, you know, when Chip Kelly came in and, and Harbo came in, I mean, countless times I thought the coaches were going to take their college players or former players i thought it would be natural fit and great stories and it and it just didn't happen so for that reason it does burn us a lot it does burn us a lot and i kind of take i kind of took the opposite approach i had actually thought that chip kelly would settle for brian bennett who had been the heir apparent at quarterback at at oregon and then moved away when uh, he was actually injured and marcus mariota came in and performed so well and transferred to southwest louisiana thought that that was really going to be the answer there. He went to the Senior Bowl as well, um, has seen some time. It kind of bounced around a little bit. So um, I thought uh, Doug Maroney and uh, and uh, Ryan Nassib, we were going to have a, a fit right there as well. So it, it, it has come back to kind of bite us a little bit, and uh, I've been guilty of that myself. So, Well, let's, let's, uh, let's look a little bit more at this mock draft right now. Um, what are some of the teams that you feel – you know, despite where they might be in the order, but in the top ten, who, which, which of those teams do you think needs the most help from almost every round? You know, has the biggest need in terms of holes to fill in their starting lineup and could potentially fill within the draft? Teams that I think could fill it, or I think maybe a team that I think is well off, I really think is Jacksonville. I think that they're picking at number five. It's a good position. Do they go for a pass-rushing talent, 
Of course, Dante Fowles at about, at about 20 minutes before he actually went down. He was the number three pick the year before. Yeah, that's no surprise. Do they get someone to kind of compliment him? Do they go in the secondary where maybe they get a big guy like a Jalen Ramsey? Do they go a Vernon Hargrave, someone homegrown in that Florida area to hopefully even get a few more fans out that, that look like guys that are going to be solid corners in this league for 10-plus years? Um, but at the same time, it, it usually takes a little more time to groom corners. Not of all of them are going to be Marcus Peters and come in and have star-like potential. And I think a lot of this has to do with, with Gus Bradley. He's been given a one-year extension. It's hardly a ringing endorsement from uh, the faithful there and, and that are actually running the show in Jacksonville. So even though long-term building the secondary might be the thing to do, because up front, Jacksonville is actually pretty solid. But – because of the situation there, they're probably looking to get the biggest impact, the biggest bang that they can because Gus Bradley knows that time might be running out. If he does not challenge for a playoff spot in one of the weakest, maybe the weakest division in football, and play 500 football this year, he's probably going to be one of the first people that will be fired after the season. Or if Jacksonville gets out, uh, the, of the blocks very slow, he could be gone before the season is even halfway over. So because of that, mm. maybe he goes for that pass rush. He goes for that, quote, sexier pick that, that, that maybe is going to make the, the biggest impact, especially on defense. Um, you know, a, a stud linebacker or someone who's kind of that tweener that can rush, up, rush outside on the edge or um, can just step in and be an immediate impact person from, from day one. As far as the, the, the most holes to fill, you really wouldn't think it, but I think San Diego was a team that, that fooled a lot of people last year. Also, the uncertainty with what's going on with that franchise. Um, are they actually going to be going to L.A. as well? You know, there is a deal in place. Are they going to be there with Oakland uh, beyond uh, next season? Uh, and I think because of that, you really got to start thinking, maybe that franchise is going to start going through kind of an overhaul as well. Are they starting to think about, not only making their football team better, but what kind of players do they want to bring to the L.A. area, make things a little more exciting, kind of change things up a little bit. So I think you're, you're going to see big changes um, in San Diego and um, the way that they're going to approach things. So I think that there's just a lot of areas. They're going to need help in the secondary. They're going to need some, some offensive linemen and maybe just another big-time wide receiver to – really kind of uh, push the vertical threat there in San Diego, something that really seemed to be missing last year. Those are the two teams right. that I see right now in not only the top ten but the top five that are probably going to need the most help and can really either have the most holes to fill or I think are so close in Jacksonville's case that, you know, they, maybe they're the surprise team next year, especially in a weaker division. That's funny. You talk about San Diego needing a star player, you know, for the L.A. area. And, you know, it would be a – a perfect fit for that criteria, but just not a good fit for necessarily their team, especially holes holes in their roster, is Miles Jack. I mean, kind of a, a flashy, exciting player from the UCLA area who, you know, is well-known, put up great numbers. I mean, that's, you know, if we're talking about impact player who the fans drive to, that's one of the guys. But right now we have them taking Joey Bosa, who I think could be just as um, – would be just as big of an impact for the fan base, so I, I I like that call as well. It just seems to be a never-ending cycle of pass rushers uh, going on there in, in San Diego. They've 
they've got some people that are good, but they're just never quite good enough. And then you've got to think the guy who's really been the face of that franchise on defense the last six, seven years, kind of seen as a workman's man, kind of a blue-collar worker, Eric Weddle, it looks like he will be gone. So you're, you're talking about not only um, replacing some areas where you've been deficient, but now an area that's been a strength, you're suddenly going to have a huge question mark going into next year because it just looks like Eric Weddle, the team's going to cut ties there. I, I think part of that uh, also has to do with his cap number and the fact that they're going to look to spend that money elsewhere. So the guy that's really kind of been the catalyst for that defense is going to be gone too. So maybe not only a big-time player, but who's going to pick up the slack and be that locker room leader, someone that – a role that Weddle's had for about the last four or five seasons in San Diego. Well, the, you know, the good thing about San Diego is that they, they have good depth in the last few years. I mean, Mel, Melvin Ingram. Melvin Ingram. Um, he came back last year, which, you know, which was pretty big. You know, then they, they have Manti, uh, Manny Teo. They have uh, Denzel Perryman. Donald Butler is still Mel- very effective. Melvin Gordon didn't have the breakout year people were looking for, but, you know, I, I don't think he was, he was totally horrible. So, I mean, I, there's, there's, there's some maybe Melvin Gordon kind of turns into that electric-type player. You've got a Danny Wood who can, do, who can do so many things and a lot of the underappreciated things that the running backs do. You've got a guy that's a little bit older in Phillip Rivers, but he can still sling it. Uh, right. It's still in the upper echelon of quarterbacks at the NFL level, so – it's not like this team is totally devoid of talent, but there's just – it seems like they're really stacked or the cupboard is really, really thin. There's not, there's not that uh, kind of paintbrush effect where everything's kind of smooth and maybe they need a little tweak here or there. It's like, wow, we're really loaded here and here. It's just we're in shambles. So there just needs mm-hmm. to be a little more consistency uh, on the San Diego roster. Yeah, and, and speaking of uh, replacing Eric Weddle, one of my favorite players in the last few years coming into draft was Matt Daniels out of Duke. He's a safety. And I would love to see him get an actual opportunity in, uh, in San Diego to, to maybe be a starter because I, I really think he's, he was underrated going into the draft. I think he went undrafted. Um, and he's kind of, you know, underrated so far. He's kind of a long shot, but he's one of those players that you know, I remember – he was, he, you know, he was in Duke when they were really starting to hit their stride at that football team, and uh, he was he was leading the NCAA in tackles and all sorts of categories. I mean, the guy was guy was really amazing. So, I think he's one of those players that it's a long shot, but if he gets the opportunity, that could be a big impact for that San Diego secondary. Now, I think what makes it seem worse for San Diego is you look at the other three teams in that division, maybe, you know, Denver just winning a championship, so they're kind of at the pinnacle. You look at Kansas City and you look at Oakland. Oakland's finally, it looks like, seeming to turn the corner. Um, Kansas City seems to be on the way up. They were the hottest team entering the playoffs. San Diego just seems to be going in the wrong direction. They're the one team on the downward swing, so I don't think they're quite as bad as people would think or, or picking third. It's just the fact that, there's such a gap there. They're going in the complete opposite direction of everyone else in that division. I think it makes it look a little more devoid of talent than, than what is actually occurring there in San Diego. Yeah, I think I actually think they need uh, I think they need the most help maybe on the offensive line. Um, they have some solid players. I like Orlando Franklin, DJ Fluker, but those guys, you know, they're not guys who can 
who can command a, an offensive line. Um, I think if they can get that and get their team back into good shape, maybe get another wide receiver. I, you know, I, I don't think they're too far away. I mean, Ladarius Green played well at tight end. I think, um, you know, somebody you talk about Melvin Gordon, but they still have Brandon Oliver who played well uh, the year before behind them if they give him playing time. And then on their defensive line, Kendall Reyes, Corey Legit, um, they get, you know, a guy, maybe a, a, an even bigger nose tackle to put in between or, or a guy on the outside, you know, is more of a stand-up the end in a 3-4. I mean, I, I really like Mike McCoy. I think he's a good coach. Um, and I'd love, I'd love to see that, – That's this is one team that I would love to see actually hit their stride, you know, get a few good draft picks and plug, plug a few holes where they need to, maybe in free agency. But I think you're right. They will always have that challenge with the division. So what are some other teams that you, in the top 15 of this draft that might be – in the bottom, let's say, bottom 10 of next year, Jeff. And when I say bottom 10, I mean probably make the playoff. I would have to say you have to see how it is with a new coaching regime. But I don't think the Giants are too far off. Uh, there, There's a lot of things that need to be settled there on defense. They're a team that's always prided themselves about you know, the, the parts that they can put along the defensive line and just kind of keep pressuring the quarterback and keep chugging, chugging along. That is where they were devoid this year. I believe they tied for, for last in the NFL as far as sacks, and we all know what happened in the well-publicized case of JPP. And I think just a, an overhaul or getting some, some fresh young horses for that front seven and getting them back because, you know, on offense it was really kind of a banner year. Eli Manning had a solid season. You've got probably the best young wide receiver in the NFL in Odell Beckham. Uh, you've got a capable running game and maybe – Maybe they do look at a running back, maybe someone uh, younger to kind of uh, complement the running game that's going on there. But again, the NFC East we're talking about, is Washington really that good? I just think it seemed to be whoever was going to catch fire late in the season was going to take that division. Um, yeah. I mean, Dallas was still alive to go, three weeks to go. It was just insane. So, again, maybe I don't think the Giants are like one of the NFC's best, but Almost anyone, you can make a case for anyone winning that division next year. You really can. And I think because of that, the Giants, you know, they're one of those teams where, you know, they miss the playoffs for a bunch of years, and then when they make the playoffs, boy, they make a run. We're going to have to see if that was the Tom Coughlin effect or something that this team can do again. But, you know, on offense, there's a lot of things to be excited about. I mean, how how long are they going to be able to sustain this? They They get a few more options catching the football. You know, I think that, the Giants are, are not really in bad bad shape. They get uh, a few more people just to rush the quarterback, and you know injuries are something you can never account for. There were a lot of man games missed, especially in the secondary, and key injuries that, that happened for them down the stretch. So uh, I think I think they're close. I think maybe we'll get a little bit of a rebound out of the Saints as well. I think at times uh, they just looked so inept that offensive line. I think if they fix that offensive line. That, that could have been the worst offensive line in football. And they were still – I think you put that offensive line with a number of other teams, and you're talking about a team that's probably picking in the top five. Uh, New Orleans, it was a down year for them. They're picking number 12 overall. They're obviously not in the upper echelon. But, you know, you got Drew Brees. you still got some, some, exciting, some exciting components to that offense. You've got a couple of playmakers on defense. Uh, just that offensive line was just atrocious at times. I think if they're able to fix that, 
you know, maybe they're able to, to challenge for a wild card position because we all know that Carolina is the toast of that division. But who's the real number two? Tampa's on the upswing. Atlanta's kind of teetering there. Why not? If you're able to make a run, you're able to win those important division games, you've probably put yourself into a, a solid number two spot and, and probably uh, challenging for a wild card position. So I think the Saints are another team that's in, in very good shape as well. Well, I think the Saints are, were actually finally exposed a little bit this year from uh, from their poor drafts. I I don't think I think their their front office was a little overrated. They got they got away with some stuff with good coaching and a good QB, um, but I don't think they really built the depth that they needed to at all the positions. And, and you saw that a lot last. Say the offensive line is it was just an absolute turnstile. I think that was the worst absolute without a doubt, the worst offensive line in football. Uh, so, and, and so much happens with that offensive line. So I think if they're able even to turn that around and be a middle of a pack offensive line, uh, they're, they're a team that, they're, they're, to me, there's just no clear-cut number two there. If it is, I think it's Tampa because I think Tampa's on the way up. Well, that, that was the team I was going to talk about next, is that if you look at Tampa's roster, and granted, I don't like what they did with Lovey Smith. I happen to like Lovey Smith as a coach, um, Dick Coder. I never thought it was that great, especially when he came to the NFL. He was okay. I mean, he did well at Arizona State. He kind of put them on the map in terms of football. But that Tampa Bay roster, when you go through it, they're pretty set at pretty much almost every position. I mean, you look at you know, their QB, they're set. Uh, running back, let's say Mike Doug Martin comes back and actually has another good year. They're pretty set. Talk wide receiver, you have uh, Vincent Jackson and Mike Evans again. You have a young tight end, Austin Sparn Jenkins. You have an offensive line, which is where I actually think they probably need their most help. They have some, they have some good pieces along their offensive line, but I think they need a draft pretty much. Offensive line, maybe one, two, three in the draft. Um, defensive end. They have some decent young players. I think they could use some help there. I mean, Daquan Bowers, they might want to throw in a towel. William Goldstein has some potential. Um, Henry Melton's pretty good. But defensive tackles, you know where they are with Gerald McCoy. Keem Spence is still on the roster. They have some other guys. And then a linebacker, you know, they have Levante David. Bruce Carter played well for them a little bit when he came back. Quan Alexander they have from LSU. Um, I think in their secondary, they're pretty strong as well. I think they picked up some guys from Chicago, like Chris Conti, Chris Conti and Major Wright and Keith Tandy. Um, I, I don't think they're too far away. I really, I actually think with a couple picks in the offensive line, maybe, you know, maybe you pick offensive line, first pick, defensive end, second round, uh, maybe another O-line, the third throw a guy into the secondary, get some lay-round linebackers and, um, you know, running backs. I, I, I don't see why that roster can't compete for that second position in that division. And, and keep in mind, Carolina is a great team. They were amazing. But the year before, remember, they started 3-8, and eight, and they finished out the year great. But every year there is what they call the, right, the Super Bowl hangover, where the team that loses sometimes struggles. And don't be surprised, as much as we think they're going to really, you know, take control next year, don't be surprised if they have a hangover and they fall out of the division and finish the year at, you know, 7-9 and nine or something. Yeah, Jameis Winston was very solid. 
I'm glad you bring up Levante David because I think he is my pick for the most underrated player at any position. If he played in a major market, I think we're talking about Levante David as probably one of the top three, four linebackers in the NFL. He's that good. Uh, Absolutely. In college, too. A I mean, guy that in Nebraska. He was underrated. So overlooked. And then, you know, he had a great year last year. The year before, he had a great year, but he was remembered for the bonehead play he made in week one where they, they basically lost a game against the Jets because of a late a late flag and a, a, a late bad play that he made. And that kind of hung with him all year. And they didn't realize that he was one of the top tacklers in the NFL. And not only just Sometimes I call it the London Fletcher effect, the guy making a bunch of tackles, but it's always five, six, seven yards downfield. This is a guy that's getting into the backfield routinely. He can he can cover tight ends and running backs in, in pass coverage. He's just a very, very versatile guy and a solid tackler. He's not overly big, just very good form. It, it becomes a little more difficult sometimes with the, the rules for defense and where you can hit a player and what you got to do. I think right now you look at a linebacker on tape and you're showing a young kid, this is how you want to approach the game. This is how you make a tackle. This is how you do it in the open field because the art of open field tackling seems to be going away. It's kind of like the mid-range jumper in the NBA. Levante David's a guy you put on tape and you have a young kid watch. He is about as perfect fundamentally at the linebacker position as you're going to find. So you've got a leader. And I, I think he's starting to assume that leadership position. And I'm, I'm with you. The Lovey Smith thing, I just do not get that at all. Uh, I, I really thought Lovey Smith was, gosh, I, I think I would put him on my ballot like third or fourth as like coach of the year last year. And then the guy gets fired. It was just maybe the most head scratching, uh, move in the offseason I've seen by a team. I just did not understand that at all. In the NFL for you. Actually, that's professional sports for you. Um, you know what? Let's let's make it even broader. That's life for you. I've been in a lot of <laughs> businesses where, you know, stakeholders change their mind, investors come in, and everything. There's more pressure to win right away or to make money right away. And uh, NFL franchises, NBA teams, they're businesses, and they want to make money. If they're not making money, uh, if their fan base isn't paying then they're going to make changes. And, you know, a lot of these owners got to where they were because they were impatient. Um, some also got there because they were lucky or they had rich parents. Um, but I think what we're seeing is, uh, is, is the business end, and it's, uh, it's, it's upsetting at points. But at the end of the day, it's a business, and we watch it and we support it. So... <laughs> So uh, going back to the NFL, the mock draft that was being released, any other points that you want to bring up? I just think this draft is going to lean a little bit more toward defense, and I, I think if the final stamp can be put on that, it would have been what, what we seen, saw in the Super Bowl. And I really am taking issue to some people who I hear that are talking about, oh, what a boring Super Bowl. It, you know, obviously the, the offensive fireworks weren't there, but – this game wasn't about ineptitude on offense as much as it was about you had what I believe to be the two most consistent defenses in the NFL if you go from week one to week 16. These were the two best defenses. I guess the old adage of defense wins championships, it seemed to be going away with the pass-happy uh, rules of the NFL and 
quarterbacks putting up 4,000 yards routinely now, and that used to be a, a mark of excellence and high standards that only three or four quarterbacks might hit in a year. Now uh, it's, it's about you know, half, the, half the starting quarterbacks are, are hitting 4,000 yards, and it's nothing. That we got to see defense really kind of rule and, and really make its mark, and I, I think we're going to see that in the draft as well. It's going to be about getting those pass rushers. Because, I mean, you look Vaughn Miller, uh, you know, DeMarcus Ware, he, and, and by the way, just great for DeMarcus Ware to get a ring. That's a guy who, oh, yeah. even, you know, being an Eagle fan and not, you know, playing for the, you know, the Cowboys for so many years, that's a guy you always respected. He, he seemed to do it right. He kind of stayed out of controversy, which is kind of hard to do, it seems, in Dallas. And it, it was good to see a guy like that get a ring. But, you know, Carolina played just as well. What, what did Denver convert one-third down the whole game? And, you know, had, had they mounted a kind of comeback, even if it would have been a couple big touchdowns, Tony Ely was the MVP of that on that side. I mean, mm-hmm. everyone on, I, I said in the, the, the celebration last night, everyone should have been happy on Denver except for Ryan Harris because they basically should have taken a Sharpie and crossed out Harris and just put Coney Ely's bitch on the back of his jersey because that's essentially what he became. Coney Ely was just owning him, just owning him, and you really saw what just having one effective pass rusher did for both those teams. Denver, they had, you know, they were it was just as good with Demarcus Ware, but Vaughn Miller kind of took it to another level, and, and Coney Ely was just uh, they, he may as well just camped out in the backfield. They should have just left him there at the snap because that's where he was going to end up, and. I think because of that, we're, we're, we're going to see more and more teams going, wait, well, hey, wait, you know, if quarterbacks are going to sit back there and look downfield and look for these big plays, there's going to be a little more opportunity to get some hits in there, get some sacks, make some big plays. we got to get people that can get after the quarterback. And I think that's kind of the direction we're probably going to see in the NFL. We're going to keep seeing these big play offenses, but now it's going to be about how do we neutralize those offenses. It's all about pressure, but to be consistent and, and to be a winning football team. And keep in mind, Coney Ely, uh, Coney Ely was a late second round pick. He was 60th overall. And the reason why no one actually cared about him that year was because he went to Missouri. And all people cared about from Missouri that year was Michael Sam. So he kind of overshadowed how good Coney Ely was and how good he, be, he could become. And it was nice to see him actually, uh, take that step and get some recognition for, you know, the type of player he could be. Couldn't agree more. So any any parting thoughts, DJ? No, other than uh, when we're doing some of our uh, blog updates, and we'll see a couple in the next few days, I've got to get some more questions in on there. It seems like it's the one area that we always seem to be running out of taking some questions, so maybe we're going to try to address that in our daily blog as well because we've had some good questions coming in. Uh, and sometimes there, there's more than what we have time to really answer. So we want to make sure that all the listeners out there know that we're, we're going to make a more – conceded effort to um, kind of answer those questions in a more timely timely fashion. We hear you out there. Sometimes it takes us a little longer than what we want because we're doing a few too many things with, with studying film or, or looking at the latest and greatest around the league, and I think we we'll, we still want to put a little more emphasis on uh, readers asking, and there's been some good questions coming in. So just want to make sure that everyone knows that. All right. Well, DJ... Thank you, as always, for all your hard work, and thank you for the coming on the call today. It was a pleasure. Always a pleasure. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody.
Have a great night. Hope you enjoy the NFL season and get ready for NFL draft overload because it's about to begin. And you could get it right here at draftsite.com. Good night, everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. There is no off season in the NFL. It's just beginning.